Well, um, I greet you this morning, and as you know, many of our leaders are away um, this week at the Western Bible Conference in California, so um, we're still having church here, but I know that they're being blessed in California, and I hope that you will have some blessings this morning as well. We're continuing in our sermon series, The Great Comeback, and we're looking at how we can turn our defeats into victories. And I want to start today with a, a, a quote by Jeremy Lin. And he said, Sometimes trials are God's way of taking our hands off of things that aren't secure and putting them on the one thing that is himself. When we get smacked down by life's unexpected events, and we know that this happens to all of us, we have a tendency to do what? We ask the question, why me? But we need to remember that in those unexpected events that there's another destructive force that's working against us. Remember that the thief has three goals. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he will certainly do what he can to get in the midst of our circumstances and try his best to destroy us. If we let him. John 10.10 10 tells us in the end of that that we are reminded that Jesus' purpose is to give life and not to harm us. Because God is not the author of evil. But how quickly we lose sight of this when we are in the midst of a circumstance that we just don't understand. And we're in faith, we're, we feel like we're being faced with the impossible. And we find ourselves asking, why me? Well, in his book, uh, a cross-shaped gospel, Pastor Brian Loritz writes of the runner's wall, which we saw a little bit of this morning. And he puts this in a chapter that's appropriately titled, Finishing Well. Pastor Loritz um, explains a conversation that he had with his assistant, who's an avid marathon runner. And when asked about the runner's wall, the assistant explained the wall in the, fi- in the following way. The runner's wall is that point in a race, a surreal moment where your body turns around, looks at you, and says, are you kidding? Stop! This hurts! But those who cross the finish lines are those who are able to push through that wall, and they're able to get to that finish line. You know that marathons are about 26 miles long, or they are 26 miles long. And Pastor Brian's assistant stated that the runner's wall, that threshold is different for every runner. Each runner is different. But it generally comes at a point in the race when there are still several miles left to go. In my case, that would be 25.5 miles left to go. But he says that her strategy was to pick an object about 100 yards out and to just focus on that and get to that object. And then when she passed that object, to look another 100 yards out and go after that object. It's the short-term goals, not looking at that whole 26 miles ahead of us. So I went and spoke to our fitness manager, Carla, this week, who also at the Croc Center here, she runs marathons. And I, and I said, so can you tell me about your experience with the runner's wall? What do you do? What, what is your preparation for this? And she told me that 
number one, you need to have faith in your training. You need to know that in your training, you have mentally prepared yourself for this race, that you've developed some sort of mantra within you that says, I can do this. I can get across that finish line. You need to make sure that you have properly hydrated and fueled your body for what's going to happen to it. Have faith in your training and preparation. Well, for, for us today, the runner's wall is going to represent those situations in our lives, those circumstances that seem impossible to overcome. But I want to ask you, in these trials, can we boldly proclaim the words from that song that we sang this morning, my God is awesome. You know, it's easy when we are sitting here in the safety of our church, in the comfort of our church, to shake our heads and say, yes, yes, I can proclaim that. But it's what's on the outside of those doors when it really becomes a challenge and we may not have the security that we have sitting in this room to boldly go out there and proclaim in every circumstance that we face, my God is awesome. Well, my question for you today is, what is your runner's wall? And be thinking about that as we go through this. What are you facing today that seems impossible and leaves you asking that question, why me? Why am I going through this? You know, most of us, the runner's wall comes in the form of a family or a relationship issue. It may come in the issue of finances or employment issues. And the big one, health issues, whether it be in ourselves or in our loved ones. But as we look at pushing through the runner's wall or turning our defeats into victories, we can look to the story of Job and the runner's wall that he faced and pushed through and what kind of wisdom we can gain from his story. When we look at his story, our circumstances that we face down here really pale in comparison. I mean, really, this guy, well, you'll see. Here's a little bit of information about Job. He was honest inside and out. He was a man of his word, and he was totally devoted to God, and he hated evil with a passion. He had seven sons and three daughters. That's a big family there. But it also goes on to say that he was a very wealthy man. He had 7,000 head of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys, a huge staff of servants, and he was the most influential man in the East. Job had what we could describe as the ideal life, that perfect life. Here's a man of great integrity and wealth. But most importantly, Job was devoted to God, and his faith was a testament to that devotion. Well, the book, in the book of Job, if you take time to read through it, there's 42 chapters in there. It can best be described as biblical Shakespeare. In this drama, we find that it is filled with a dialogue that, reverse, that reveals adversity, Sorrow, affliction, doubt, betrayal, love, faith, and yes, the question, why me? The story begins with Satan seeking God's permission to bring destruction to Job. 
to prove that Job was only faithful because he had wanted for nothing. He had the perfect life, so why, why not trust God? Well, in response to Satan's query, the Lord presents Job, a man of complete integrity, wealth, and a man who fears God and stays away from evil. Listen to what Satan says to this. Listen to Satan's challenge. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You always have put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look at how rich he is. But reach out and take everything that he has, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord replies to Satan's challenge by saying, all right, you may test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do not harm him. And so with this, Satan leaves the Lord's presence, and he begins his process of destroying Job. In the next sequence of events, we see that Job's sons and daughters are killed. We see that his livestock was either stolen or killed. Along with his shepherds and his servants, his livelihood and his family was destroyed. So what does Job do in response to this? Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, he shaved his head, fell to the ground, to worship. I'm sure he questioned, why me? But he fell to the ground to worship. And this is what he said. I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me all that I have, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. We see here that Job didn't hide his grief, but he didn't lose his faith in God either. His emotions, Job's emotions, shows us that he was human and he loved his family. Who wouldn't grieve over losing their family? Our emotions were created by God, so therefore it's not inappropriate or sinful to express our grief or to ask why, as Job did. The sin would be in blaming God because he's not the author of evil. So Job certainly experienced the runner's wall with this first test, didn't he? And he probably many times as he was going through each one of these events said, why me? Why me? Why me? But he didn't blame God. Therefore, in this first test, Satan could not claim victory. But do you think that Satan was going to give up here? He was not. He was hell-bent on bringing Job down. Listen to what Satan's second attempt said in the second chapter of Job. I don't have this on the screen, but just listen to how this story plays out. It says here, One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Does that kind of send a chill up your spine to think I've been patrolling the earth? This guy is uji. The Lord, 
then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless and a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything to save his life. But reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord replied to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat amongst the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we only accept good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, once again, Job said nothing wrong. Even Job's own wife encouraged him to curse God and die. Think about that. He lost everything. And now his own wife tells him to just throw in the towel. That is a person that is not willing to stand by him and help him push through the runner's wall. I love what the Life Application Bible says in summing this up. Many people think that believing in God protects them from trouble. So when a disaster comes, they question God's goodness and justice. But the message of Job is that you should not give up on God just because he allows you to have bad experiences. Faith in God does not guarantee prosperity or freedom from trouble. Just as a lack of faith does not guarantee that you're going to have troubles in life. If this were the case, people would believe in God only to get rich. Our troubles that we face, those walls that we face, are opportunities for each one of us to grow closer to God, to be strengthened in our faith, and to give us the ability to overcome and push through the runner's wall. But on the other side of that, our troubles are also opportunities for Satan. He knows that weakness is his opportune time to do his stuff. That makes us easy targets to seize. It makes our faith weak for him to play on, and it causes us to doubt God. You know that if if you're a runner or if you've been going through anything, you're running a race or you're going through a difficult time, it's those folks that are on the sidelines that offer a word of encouragement to you to say, keep going, to cheer you on, push through, You you can do this. What what would you do in the midst of your trials if your friends or family came to you and did just the opposite? You're running a race, pushing against that runner's wall, and having people on the sidelines telling you, give up, quit. You'll never make it, just stop. Well, that's going to happen, but this is where you have to remember that faith that you put into your training and into your preparation. You can't let that negativity bring you down because that's only going to make that wall harder to push 
This is where you cling to the faith and the hope that you have in God and that he will supersede any wall you face. This is an example of the thief at work. Weakness and discouragement are his playground. Well, as Job's devastating story continues, Job continues with the question, why me? And even to the point in the story where he wondered why he was even born, and if he was given the choice, he certainly would have chosen death. He compared his sadness to being heavier than all the sand in the sea, if you were to put it on a scale and weigh it. That's heavy. And here's where Job's friends enter. They come to visit him. And they begin, in the beginning, they are grieving with Job over his circumstances. And they're being supportive. But then as the speeches start to play out, we see that the friends are trying to find the reason that this has happened to Job. They told him that sin has caused his suffering. These friends told Job that he needed to confess his sins and turn back to God, but Job maintained his innocence. He didn't do anything wrong. Well, talk about being hung out to dry. You know, first by your wife and now by your friends. What we all need to understand is that, yes, sin does have its consequences. But we're all sinners, and by that right, we should all be infected with disaster and disease, correct? Job and his friends called on God to speak, and the friends wanted God to expose Job for his sins, but Job wanted God to affirm his innocence. The problem here is that God wasn't talking. The silence of God is an issue that every suffering Christian has struggled with. And when we're in the thick of it, we want God to answer that question, why me? Why me? I think that one of the best uh, responses to this was Reverend Billy Graham, and he shared the following his message, in, in his message following the 9-11 attacks. Listen to what he says. I have been asked a hundred times in my life why God allows tragedy and suffering. I have to confess that I really do not know the answer totally, even to my own satisfaction. I have to accept by faith that God is sovereign and that he's a God of love and mercy and compassion in the midst of suffering. The Bible says that God is not the author of evil. It speaks of evil as a mystery, in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, it talks about the mystery of iniquity. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? He asked the question, who can understand it? And that's one reason that we need God in our lives. The fact of the matter is, is that we may never know the answers to our why me questions. We may never know. And in Job's 42 chapters of dialogue, we anticipate an answer to his why question. But it never comes. In all of that dialogue, that answer never comes. Well, you know, sometimes in our lives, our runner's wall becomes so heavy and the pain is so compounded 
we're, we're at the point that the why me plea becomes more and more urgent. We wonder, will we be able to push through this? Well, going back to what Pastor Brian said in his conversation concerning the runner's wall, he offers this advice. He stated that the runner breaks through the wall because instead of turning inward and focusing on our own problems, the runner must set the sights down the road. And if we are going to be people who finish well and push through the traumatic seasons of life when it feels like our world is caving in, we have to come outside of ourselves by looking down the road to what? The cross. Well, in the conclusion of Job's story, we learn that God finally spoke. He finally did speak, and he tells Job's friend that they were wrong and that Job had not sinned. In the end of this drama, we see that Job was restored. He got his family back. He got his health back and his livelihood. And he lived the second part of his life with more than he had in the beginning. You see, he never lost his faith in God. And he asked and he pleaded many times, God, why me? Why am I going through this? So my question to you today is, what is it that you're facing in your life? What are your why me questions? What is your runner's wall? Perhaps there's something that's going on in your family or your relationships that just, it never seems to get better, whether it be a broken, uh, a broken relationship, a re- relationship that needs healing, a, piece, a person who's strayed away from God. What is it? Are you finding yourself asking, why me? And I would challenge you to say that in that why me, can you say, my God is awesome. And I would challenge you to take it and say, why not me? Why not me? Or how about this? Use me. Use me through these circumstances that I'm dealing with in my family. How about those issues that we deal with that involve finances and employment, underemployment or no employment, bills that you can't pay, places that you you can't afford to live in or you've lost a place and you find yourself saying, why me? Why me? Why am I going through this? Again, I would say, can you proclaim boldly in those circumstances, my God is awesome. He's awesome. Why not me? Or better yet, use me. Use me in this circumstances for your honor and your glory. How about this? This is the big one, the health. Health, disease, cancer is the big one. It inflicts people and we don't know why. And it causes a lot of pain for the person who suffers through it, but it also causes pain for the loved ones around. And we find ourselves asking, Lord, why me? I didn't do anything to deserve this. I did not do anything to deserve this. Why me? Again, can you boldly, in those circumstances when you have no strength to boldly proclaim, my God is awesome. Why not me? And how about through this sickness and pain in my body, use me. You see, worship is the antidote to pain. Amen.